It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight, like the show last week, we're celebrating the Blossmere and Irishwood Awards that take place this weekend in Dingle, County Kerry. To start off, we're heading to County Wexford to talk to Cloda Davis from Naturally Cordial. Then Susan McLaughlin from Love A Little joins us from Donegal to talk about her range of dessert sauces. And we'll hear how John Rogan from Rogan's Smokehouse in Westmead has pivoted into smoking sugar. And finally, at the end of the show tonight, Nevo Kennedy will tell us what is happening this weekend at the Dingle Food Festival. But before we hear from all our guests, a reminder that you can make contact with me by emailing me, s.nunan at live.ie, or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation, and I'm on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So our first guest this evening, who has a number of products in the finals of this year's Blossnerin Awards, is Cloda Davis from Naturally Cordial. Let's find out more about Cloda and the journey that brought her to start up her business. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Cloda, great to see you again, this time by Zoom. The last time we met, I was actually down in Enniscorthy at the Rock and Roll Festival in County Wexford, where I met you and had an opportunity to try some of your amazing cordials at your stall. Your business is naturally cordial. And before we talk a bit more about it in detail, I want to just find out a bit more about you because... You, you were born in Australia, but your your father's side of the family has a very long associated history with Wexford. Yes. So um, my dad's side of the family or my uh, grandfather's, uh, my paternal grandfather, uh, the Davises, have lived in Wexford for about 400 years. And um, they were involved in flour milling and also in whiskey making. So uh, we would have would have had connections with Jemisons and uh, Hague uh, whiskey producers. So I like to think that maybe a few of those genes have carried forward. And um, I'm not making whiskey, but I'm making lovely cordial. People are going to say, well, that's not really a Wexford accent. So tell us about your journey in life that brought you back to Wexford. Yes, well, my... Um, I should say, first of all, my mum is Scottish. So um, her father um, uh, worked in the jute industry in Scotland and um, and in India for a while, and then moved to Waterford to help set up a factory in Waterford. And that's actually where my parents met in Waterford. Um, And then my father emigrated to Australia, and he was doing flour milling out there. And I was born in Australia. And then um, after about four years, they moved to Kenya. And their intention was only to be there for a year or two. But 10 years later, they decided to move back to Ireland at that stage. And that's why um, I don't really have a Wexford accent. A melange of everything, I think, is the best way to describe it. I think so. I think it's just I'm a bit of this and a bit of that. Well, whenever you return to Wexford then, tell me about the journey that led you to open Naturally Cordial. Oh, well, that was funny enough. I've been a traveler myself because um, I grew up here, obviously, for my teenage years. 
and and then had the travel bug myself. So I spent time in Spain and in France. And then I met my own husband. Um, he is Welsh and he was working in the UK with um, a friend of mine. And we met in a pub uh, just by chance. I was going to meet her just to say hello because she was a school friend and I hadn't seen her for a while. And um, by the end of the weekend, anyway, I had um, I had a husband. So, <laughs> but I moved over there. Well, we did um, for ten years for our first part of our relationship. And then when we moved back again, when I, when we had children, it was my eldest son Alex who wanted uh, a lemonade stall at the end of the drive. And um, I didn't have a cordial recipe at the time, but I knew someone who did. So, in order to encourage his entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, we got the recipe. He had the stand. He sold a few glasses of cordial at the end of the drive that day, and he was delighted. But we started making cordial then. And um, so it was in the house, and another friend gave me a recipe as well. And then when they were in secondary school, uh, they uh, had a farmer's market, a fundraising farmer's market. And I ran a cordial stand for them there as a fundraiser. And the school has a lot of um, families who are involved in food as well. And at the time, you know, the cordial waste just went down a bomb. And I remember thinking at the time, gosh, if you ever wanted a focus group, that would have been a great focus group. And about eight months later, I was made redundant. And I just thought, look, give it a try. You know, and what's the worst that can happen is that it doesn't work out. And were you working in the food industry before you were made redundant? No, I am actually... Uh, um, an occupational psychologist so a work psychologist by profession so I have a master's degree um, from University College London Birkbeck. and so I've been working in recruitment and I've done management consultancy and I was a lecturer but all around business and the thing is is that I love business and then with my father's background as a flour miller and you know I'd done summer work picking strawberries and I'd worked in the mill um, I'd also done worked for a while in Guinness Breweries and Park Royal in London. And it was just, I like food, I like drink. And you sometimes you just have to give something a try. And I, you know, and as I said, you know, if the worst thing that could happen was that it didn't work, that was all. And then I would know. But it's worse to go through life thinking, I wonder if I'd done that, would it have worked? And when you were made redundant, was that the first thing that came to mind? I'm going to start making the cordial and do it as a business venture. It was. I have to say it was. It was sort of like, oh, here's a bit of an opportunity. You know, just somebody's given you a push. So use it and try it. And um, at least, as I said, give it a try. And... Um, you know, I was thinking I'd work on the farmer's markets. Um, my children were still quite young, so at least the job would be, I was thinking they'd be more flexible or at least I'd have more control over the hours that I worked. Um, and, yeah, why not give it a try? And the name then, Naturally Cordial, did that come automatically to you or did you have to ask a few friends and family about coming up with a potential name for the business? Um, we actually, at the time, I had a business partner. Um, when I first started and she moved out of the business later but we literally sat down together and we knew we wanted cordial and um, and then it was just a matter of sitting down and saying okay what works with it and eventually we hit on naturally and naturally cordial and um, we liked well I liked the pun and um, 
yeah, and so we just, that that's what it was. But it, it took ages. It's it's really strange. One of these things you think you know it's such an obvious name, and yet we tried Clodus Cordials. We tried um, oh all sorts of other names. Uh, but it's surprising how long it takes to hit on something that actually seems so simple. So you found yourself then, you had a product, you had a name for it. What about packaging, branding, different flavours and recipes? You must have had to have gone through a lot of number of other stages, getting HACCP approval in your kitchen and all of that. Were these things that you were aware of at the time or that you kind of started to learn about as you, you moved from from the making the product to the selling it uh, on a commercial basis? Definitely something I grew into. <laughs> um, and had I known how much paperwork there there is to be done, I might have sort of not just jumped in so blindly. Um, but um, I think that's probably the best way. I had a super HSE person and uh, very much sort of, okay, let's start with this and this is what you need to do now. And then as the business grows, you know, or grew, she'd say, this is what you need to do next. So it wasn't sort of throwing me in in the deep end. And I always felt really supported by them. You know, I never felt she was trying to catch me out, you know, unduly. She was trying to make sure that whatever I did, I was doing it properly. Um, and I'm forever grateful for, you know, to her for that advice and for that approach. Because it, um, it means if I have a problem, I, I can call them up and say, I have a problem. How do I resolve this? How do I make it right? And it's not about trying to hide anything. It's about trying to always be transparent and to be in compliance with everything. And building those relationships with everybody that you work with in your business are so important. And I would imagine now the, the next relationships that you're building up were with suppliers and being based in Wexford, there obviously is an abundance of great quality soft fruits there in the regions. So the first flavours that you did, did you take advantage of what was available in Wexford initially? Not initially, because I had these recipes that were based on traditional sort of more lemon type recipes. Um, so I suppose my my very first recipes were lemon and lime, orange and lemon, um, and a lemon. But very quickly, it had always been my intention to use what we grow locally. Um, I'm a firm believer that businesses should use you know, raw materials in in their locality because that's what keeps the business solid um so very quickly we did lemon and raspberry and we did black currant very early on um and then it's just developed from there i always wanted to do strawberries but strawberries can be um they're tricky sometimes to work with because they can ferment quickly and the flavor strawberry can often just be too sweet so you have to think of combinations that um really bring out the strawberry without overpowering someone with a sort of sticky sweet taste um i mean i could or i could make oodles and oodles and oodles of flavors it would never stop me um, and the only thing that really prevents me um bringing out loads and loads and loads of flavors is just the impracticality of having sort of 40 flavors in a range and you know, <laughs> trying to make them all and I presume then the business got so big that you had to move it from your home kitchen to a production environment. Well, I'm actually only doing that now. So I had ways of, and again, working with the HSE, um, you know, the first thing I, I did was actually contract out the bottling and the pasteurization. So I was just making it in my, ki you know, in my kitchen. And, but then you see it's great, you're sending it to someone else. 
and they have all the equipment, the bottling, the pasteurization. So you know your product is fully compliant and it's safe. Uh, but it allowed me to expand without, I mean, the bottling equipment and all of that is really expensive equipment. So you'd want to make sure that you actually have a business that's worth investing, you know, close to 200,000 in it before you, you know, just take a loan out from the bank and mortgage your house. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, and as you said there before, if you knew all this beforehand, you may not have gone for it. So ignorance is bliss is actually a gift, really. I think it is. You know, or sometimes I think, you know, because you you don't know that you're not supposed to do something, you, you just do it. Um, and I think a lot of when I talk to other food producers, an awful lot of it is actually just having the ability and resilience and tenacity to keep solving problems. Because, you know, there's never a time when there isn't some big obstacle or something that you have to find a way to work with or to manage, um, you know, for your business to continue. And that's anything from sorting out a bottling issue or suddenly, um, you know, food labeling legislation has changed or, oh, or maybe a bottler can't bottle for you for a certain period of time or COVID or, you know, at the moment, for example, we're all struggling with supply. I couldn't get citric acid for a while. And and then, as I said, literally could not get citric acid. I don't use a lot of it, but it's essential. So luckily, I was able to go to one of the other Wexford producers and they lent me, you know, a bag of citric acid. Um, and that got me over that hurdle. So and now we're short of bottles. And again, we were all, everyone who bottles, we were all talking to each other within Ireland to say, have you got bottles? Have you got bottles? When are your bottles coming in? What's the delay? So everybody tries to pull together as much as possible to get over these obstacles. And I'm delighted to hear about that collaboration because I'm a big advocate for collaboration and about, you know, you supporting another producer and vice versa. And you have a very special relationship with another cordial producer. Do you want to share that story with me about encouraging them to enter Blossner? Yes, it's with Richmond Cordial. And they started um, around about the same time that I started and um, they planted elders on their farm. So they now have about 200 elders on their farm, which they use for elderflower cordial and elderberry cordial. And we've always just got on. Um, and, um, you know, at one stage I had said to them when we were having a, a chat, I'd meet up with them occasionally, we'd have a chat. And I said, you really must enter Bloss. And um, they, they were like, oh, you know, all the awards and this, that, and the other. And I said, yeah, 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 you should really enter. So they did enter. And funny enough, that year, we were all down in Dingle and um, because we were finalists in the same category. And um, the awards were announced and they got silver and I got bronze. And um, there we were up at the award, you know, getting our awards one behind the other. And I'm saying, look, now you see, now I told you you should enter. <laughs> that was great advice that you gave to them. And, and it's lovely, you know, um, and now they, you know, because we've always been friendly, they helped me out and did quite a lot of my bottling for me. And um, a lot of the equipment I have bought um, is similar to the equipment they already have. And um, I'm going up there for a training session. So um, they're helping me and I help them as I can. And it's those relationships that make make the whole business enjoyable. Because there are lots of yeah. times when you're working by yourself 
Um, but to have those relationships with other people and to be able to talk about things or to, you know, we all know where we're coming from. And sometimes they've already done the research or they know where to get something. Um, so just trying to help all of us, because it makes it makes not just your community, but it makes Ireland stronger. I couldn't agree more. And and speaking of Blossom Erin, you have four products in the finals this year. Three of them are for one of the multiples. So, you know, that's it's obvious then that you're getting lots of business from lots of different avenues that justifies all this new investment in the equipment that you're talking about. And the other product that you have in your own label is orange and cranberry. Now, there's not very many oranges and cranberries growing in Wexford, I'd say. There aren't. There used to be someone who had Irish cranberries. And that's why I did it right at the beginning. But um, they no longer have them or they certainly don't have enough of them to supply me. Um, but it is such a fabulous flavour. And, um, you know, and because I'm using whole cranberries, um, it's, it's one, they're really rich in vitamin C. Um, but also for a lot of people who, you know, cranberries have a great effect on your kidneys. And we're using... Often when you look at percentages, there are more cranberries in my cordial drink than there are in some of the cranberry juice drinks around. Um, and it, this is, I just love this flavour. And I particularly love it in the winter. You know, I just make a cup of it with hot water, the way you'd make a cup of tea and put a cinnamon stick in it. And it's all that fruity berryness and then the oranges in there um, and the cinnamon balances it, balances it out um, it's it's and it's a little bit tart you know because cranberries are tart um so it's fabulous drink and i an, hope it wins something an, an, <laughs> I, an ideal combination for around the christmas time of year and i was going to ask you about using it for different things because it's not just about using it with water and you're talking about hot water there are there any other combinations that you can recommend like would it be nice in a, in a glass of prosecco for example oh this certainly would and um and there are just off the top of my head i can't give you a recipe but i know my son has we have a recipe online i think for um a, a cocktail with, like a sour cocktail um uh, we're using the orange and cranberry um but it, it is it is one of those things that you can use as an ingredient both in mocktails and cocktails and um it, it, it provides a great boost of flavor to a drink that you can make at home so um on your just with that little nudge, I think I shall head back into the kitchen and do a bit more experimentation and get a really good recipe up online. My son is really good for doing that. Brilliant. And look, your website has an online shop, which you probably had pre-COVID, but COVID just really accelerated the numbers coming to the shop and buying the products there. It did. And you know what? I was so grateful for all those people because... Um, I really didn't, we, none of us knew what was going to happen with COVID. And it, it, you know, so it was both the the money coming in, which really helped with cash flow, but it was also that lovely sense of being connected to people. You know, and people, there'd be people who buy regularly. So there's somebody who would buy every single month. Um, and it's just, it's just lovely to think that, you know, somebody likes your cordial that much, they're buying a case every month. And, um, and, my way of thanking people who come to the website is to offer free postage. So it's up to, you know, up to two cases. So that's 12 bottles. It's free postage anywhere on the island of Ireland. 
Brilliant. Well, listen, I hope it comes out gold for you at the awards this year. It certainly sounds like it deserves it. Hopefully the judges love it as much as you do. And you better tell us what the website address is. So if somebody wants to find the recipes or indeed order some of the products, they know where to go. Yes, it's naturallycordial.ie. Brilliant. Cloda, lovely to talk to you again. You too, Sharon. It is lovely. And great, you know, that we're all moving forwards to seeing people in person and everything else. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was talking to Cloda Davis from Naturally Cordial in County Wexford. If you're just tuning in now and you've missed that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are also available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come tonight, we've another producer to talk to as well as Nevo Kennedy from the Dingle Food Festival. But next, we're going to head to County Donegal to talk to Susan McLaughlin from Love A Little who produces a range of dessert sauces. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Susan, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. You're based up in Donegal and your business is Love A Little. Tell us what you make. Thanks very much, Sharon, for having me on today. Um, yeah, so I'm based in Donegal, a business called Love A Little. We make dessert sauces. It's been in existence now for about three years, so just before COVID. So things were a little bit quiet during COVID, but everything's uh, settled and started up again now. So, yeah. And where did you get the inspiration and the idea to do a food business that, that makes lovely dessert sauces? Well, I lived in Dublin for a number of years and I came back to Dublin. My mother was in ill health, so I came back to, to Donegal to, you know, look after her for a bit. She passed away. I decided, you know, what do I do now? Do I stay in Donegal? Do I go back to Dublin or what do I do? And I kind of thought, you know, I like Donegal now and I like this new life here. But I knew if I was to stay, I would probably have to set up a business, find a job for myself, make my own work. So I always loved doing baking, cooking, that type of thing. And I thought, well, we'll give this a go and see what happens. And it was actually on International Women's Day 2017. I was at a Donegal Women in Business meeting and I spoke to different people there. And we had sort of, I sort of said, you know what, this is kind of just settled in my head then. You know, Love A Little Dessert Sauces was born out of that. I've always liked that type of thing, so it was kind of a natural progression. So sorry to hear about the passing of your mother. Um, was she somebody that would have influenced you in the kitchen? Was she a good baker herself? Yeah, she was quite a good cook. She was a good cook. Um, but she didn't particularly like it, but she was very good at it. So uh, I would have picked up some things from her over the years, yeah. Well, tell us about the product range that you do now and what products you have in the final of this year's Blossmeron Irish Food Awards. Yeah, I'm very, very lucky and privileged now to get to that. Uh, I was in it last year and I won a bronze for my caramel, uh, salted caramel and chocolate sauce. This year I have uh, salted caramel on its own and uh, caramel on its own. So both those three have got through to the finals now. So I'm 
really looking forward to drinking in two weeks time so fingers crossed see how it goes well even before tasting these products hearing the names i am salivating dessert sauces i think everybody associates maybe with putting on ice cream but there's lots of different ways to use your products yeah you know one that people don't think about um is coffee so just a spoonful of it in your coffee is really really nice it kind of gives you that uh, caramel latte tasting thing that you would get in Starbucks or Costa and you only need a small little bit of it and even if you don't like have a sweet tooth and you, you're thinking oh god this could be too sweet it's not you just kind of get a caramel hit of it as opposed to a real sweetness so I know some people who still take sugar in their tea or their coffee uh, but they like this as well so that's actually quite good and then you've got your waffles and your pancakes and a lot of people use it in baking one really good method is if you make cheesecakes, it's really nice cheesecakes. And the cream cheese topping for a carrot cake, mix a little bit with that and it's very, very nice. Yeah, so there's different ways of using them. And I think it's important with all products that they can be versatile and it's up to you as the food producer to really highlight those different uses that are there. Um, where have you got ideas for how to use the, the products? I call it an anytime, any day product. You can have it breakfast, lunch, dinner, and in between. It has gone in through uh, Super Value Food Academy, so I'm in the Super Values. Um, and it's a premium product. It's something that's, you know, you pick up when you maybe have for your dinner on a Sunday, your dessert after your dinner, or some kind of parties, that type of thing. Um, or just like your cup of coffee. You mentioned the Super Value Food Academy there. Did you find that really useful for developing the business and moving it on to uh, a, a, a different stage? Oh, look, I would recommend uh, the Food Academy to anyone. It's a must as far as I'm concerned if you are setting up a food business. Uh, the knowledge that you get, the training that they provide for you mentorship-wise, um, and look, you're not going to get on the shelf if you don't go through it. Uh, so no, I would say it's, it is very intensive, but very, very worthwhile. And anyone who has any thoughts about getting on a supermarket shelf, you, you know, Food Academy is the way to go. And before you started the business, where are you working in that food industry space? I grew up in a family retail grocery business. Um, so I was always used to that type of work and hard work and my parents started at nine in the morning and then finished until 10, 11 at night and then get ready for the next day again. So it is a lot of hard work, um, but you do, I'm lucky that I've learned what that type of work involves. Um, so, you know, just, I've always been interested in food. Yeah. And when, whenever you were living in Dublin, were you working in food then? No, I studied law and criminal psychology, so a bit of a difference. <laughs> but I, I would imagine that there are skills and knowledge and expertise in that space that you've brought to the business. Well, I suppose, you know, you have to have determination and dedication and you have to have focus. So from studying what I, you know, studying in itself involves focus. Um, so yeah, focus is a huge thing. You have to stay on track. Uh, you have to have your, your goals and you have to need to know where it is that you're going and how you're going to get there. Um, because if you take your eye off the ball for a little while, the food world is very, um, it's continuously changing. 
So you need to keep your eye on the ball there the whole time. If you could go back and do what you were doing in Dublin, but transplant it and do it in Donegal, would you like to do that? Are you very happy in the food space now? Oh, no, I'm very happy in the food space. This is my forever job, hopefully. <laughs> no, I love what I'm doing. The people that I meet, um, it's just there's something new happening all the time. And it's, you know, it just keeps you motivated. And if you look into the future, then where do you hope to see the business going in the next, say, five to ten years? Um, well, primarily, I'd like to see it outside Ireland. As it is, there is French companies who are buying from me. Um, through internet uh, retailers. Uh, I'd like to see it more so Amazon. I'm in talks with Amazon at the moment as well to get it to England and outside and America. Yeah, so America is, we have a huge amount of Irish, obviously, in America. And the ingredients that's in my sauces is all Irish, all natural, no preservatives, it's gluten-free. And Irish products in America sell very well. And you have Kerrygold butter in it, so you don't get better than Irish Kerrygold butter. Uh, it's the highest, uh, second highest uh, product buying off the shelves in America. So at all top shelves use it. So once you say Kerrygold, you're, you know, it's good. Well, listen, it's been lovely to talk to you, Susan, and to hear about the business. You've mentioned a few places there that the products are readily available on, including your online shop. So please do share your website address so people can find the shop, but also find out more about you, your business and your products. The website is www.loveallittle.ie. Well, listen, best of luck in Dingle at the awards and we will talk again soon, no doubt. Thank you so much, Sharon, for having me on. It's a pleasure. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight we've been talking to producers who have products in the finals of this year's Blosnairn Irish Food Awards. Just before the break, Susan McLaughlin joined us from County Donegal to tell us about her business, Love A Little, which produces a range of dessert sauces. And earlier on in the programme, I was talking to Clodagh Davis from Naturally Cordial in County Wexford. If you're just tuning in now and you've missed that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now, our final producer this evening is John Rogan from Rogan's Smokehouse in Westmeath. So let's find out about his smoke sugar that has made it to the Blossnerin finals. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. John, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. You have a smokehouse up in Westmeath. Tell me, how did it all start? Well, it all started, actually, I'm a Neil fisherman. Well, I was a Neil fisherman. And this is not a story of, of huge success or anything like that. I started, uh, I moved down from County Meath about 24 years ago now, living here in the banks of the Inner River. I had an interest in Neil fishing and everything like that. So basically, guys were coming in, buying deals from Holland, bring, coming in in tankers, buying deals, a few euros a kilo. So... I decided I'd build a smokehouse to add value to these eats. Because, you know, for 
you'd be getting five euros a kilo for live beans and they take them away in a truck, but you could get 40 euros a kilo for smoked beef. So that's why he started. And it was going on grand for a few years, but then fate intervened in 2008. And Eamon Ryan decided he was going to save the European eel. And he stopped eel fishing in Ireland. And he basically put me out of business. So I had an eel smokehouse over here beside my house. And I was literally left on the road. So I've been, for the last number of years, I've been trying to think of something to be able to use that facility. So uh, that's how I come up with, you know, necessity. I was smoking some uh, salt for the Oriel Sea Salt Company. But in the last couple of years and during COVID, I was thinking of different things. But then I started smoking sugar, the brown sugar. And I think it's a product that could succeed because everybody's attracted to it. The taste, the sweetness and the smoke is what you get when you smoke brown sugar. We must congratulate you because the smoked sugar has made it to the finals of this year's Blossnair. And, and as you say, everybody's partial to something that's a bit sweet. Tell us what the smoked sugar is used for. If I go out to the shops and I buy it, what would I be using it in? Well, this is what we've been dis- I've been discussing with people at markets and with chefs and everything like that. And literally, people are fascinated even to taste a little bit on your tongue, it's, it's a very interesting flavour and an interesting burst of flavour, the sweetness and the smoke. So literally you can use it where you'd use brown sugar for the ham at Christmas for making the dressing, in marinades, eh, hot whiskey, eh, salad dressing, where you want sweetness and smoke on a pork chop, on a steak when it's nearly finished, just a little shake of the the smokiness and the sweetness. It's an amazing product, I think. And what's involved in the process to actually smoke the sugar? Mm-hmm. How do you smoke it? Well, you see, I have the facility there to smoke the ovens, the old ovens and everything like that. So literally, just smoke. And I use the oak wood from a whiskey bar to smoke it. And it gives you an added sort of sweetness and the bitterness of the oak. Like the the smoke from the oak wood from the whiskey barrel, it's a, it's a lovely smoke to even smell. You know, it, it, you can sort of taste this smoke. So when you add that to the sweetness of the sugar, it gives really unique flavour, you know. I was in Sheridan's last Sunday at the food fair and people are absolutely fascinated, you know, with this because, you know, you have people thinking of different things, how they can use it on a creme brulee, even on a toffee apple, you know, when you sweeten the apples, the smoke on the apple, it works in so many ways. I know the guy, he uses it in his gravy, a couple of spoonfuls in the gravy. So it's, it's, it can be used literally anywhere you'd use brown sugar or anywhere you want smoke. And it's not overpowering because, you know, you can just add as much as you need. There's other guys starting to use it in cures. It's a very versatile product. You've mentioned there the festival that Sheridan's ran and the, the markets as well. Is that where you sell the product or is it available yeah. anywhere else? But literally, I'm only in the last, it's only in the last few months. You know, this is, it's in its infancy. And 
hopefully it can go from here, you know. But but anybody that sees it, tastes it, literally are fascinated with it, you know. Well, you'll be heading to Dingle for the Blossnaren finals, and I'm sure you're keen to do a lot of networking whenever you're there. Oh, absolutely, yes. And, well, my daughter, actually, my daughter is going down. She's my representative, so uh, my daughter's going down and uh, looking forward to it, you know, and looking forward to, you know, talking to people and, and looking for suggestions as well, you know. I'm sure that, you know, there's so many people there, that are, you know, foodies, that it'll be an interesting journey I'm sure you know well listen we wish you all the very best in the finals if people want to find out more about the products in the smokehouse where's the best place for them to go to to rogansmokehouse.com John great to meet you best of luck again with the finals this weekend and I look forward to hearing how you get on well thank you for that bon appetit yummy grubs up delicious mmm Best wishes to John and to all the producers who have products in this year's Blossnaren finals that take place this Friday. And if you're planning a visit to Dingle this weekend for the awards, you may also wish to pay a visit to the Dingle Food Festival. Earlier today, Nevo Kennedy told me what we can expect to enjoy this weekend. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Neve, you're very welcome to the best possible taste. Delighted to see that the Dingle Food Festival is back this year and it all kicks off this Friday and runs until Sunday. So tell us what we can expect, maybe starting on Friday. Oh yeah, thanks Sharon, it's great to be here. And yeah, absolutely, we are so thrilled that the festival is coming back. The excitement already in the town is like, it's buzzing and there's not a bed to be got. So uh, I hope if you're spot booked already, Sharon. Absolutely. I always say anybody that is planning to go that doesn't have accommodation, there's always a few last minute beds available. So don't despair. Um, the yeah, Irish... And the, 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 people always think of, you know, Dingle, but there's a whole peninsula. Like we have Aunderskull, we have Lisbon, you can go back west, there's loads, there's loads. We'll, we won't turn anyone away. Okay. So it all kicks off on Friday and the traditional Friday is always the Farmers Forum. Um, so that's taking place and it, it's a great, it, it's, because the food festival isn't just about the shops or, the, or just the taste trail. Like it is about encompassing everybody, the farmers and the fishermen. Um, there's a lot of projects going on. So the Dingle Hub are actually running the Farmers Forum for this year. And they'll be talking about some of their farming projects. And um, so the, a lot of work they're doing with uh, sustainability and biodiversity. Um, exciting project as well. We're looking at um, a bio district region as well. So there'll be more information on that. So it, it, it's a nice way to kick off the festival. And you mentioned the taste trail there, and I think that is one of the unique assets of the Dingle Food Festival that very few other places in the country can can match. So tell us a bit about the taste trail. Absolutely, Sharon. I mean, it's always, we go, it's nearly famous at this stage, but it is one of the highlights of the festival. And I think that's what makes the Dingle Food Festival so unique, because you're able to um, carry out all these fantastic things related to food and drink in such a small environment. Uh, a lot of the streets, the main streets are pedestrianised. And so literally like cafes, shops, you know, clothes stores, uh, cheese shops, they just start offering food and wine and drink. So it brings a whole unique atmosphere to the place. You buy a book of taste tickets and um, we use those taste tickets then to go into these different locations. You have your little map and the offerings are um, are put in the map and so you can come in and buy your taste tickets for normally a taste ticket is one ticket, um, three euros. 
and um, you couldn't get anything from scallops to fish. Uh, Murphy's, I work for Murphy's, so we're doing a mocktail and we're doing an ice cream cake slice as well. Um, the Murphy's mocktail is a, it's a raspberry flavoured with it's got some canine pepper and ginger, so it'll be exciting. And the taste trail is a great way to introduce yourself or maybe the younger members of the family to foods that they've maybe not tried before that you might have seen on a menu in a restaurant, but you don't want to take that risk of getting the full dish for your starter or your main course. So it's a great way. The to... whole idea is really that it's a taste. It's a taste trail. It's not to have a meal. So you can actually sample. And it's so funny. You'll see people going around highlighting the book. You know, I want to try that. You know, there's the scallop popcorn or there's goat cheese with a bit of outer skull pudding crumble or there's the kangaroo skewer, which is always a big cue for that. But uh, yeah. And I was just going to mention the kangaroo skewer because I have memories of years ago, my children and buggies eating away at the kangaroo meat on the skewer, which they wouldn't even look at now, unfortunately, but hopefully <laughs> they'll return to it. But there is a great atmosphere on the streets on the, the Saturday and the Sunday because there's like producers everywhere selling all sorts of different things. Uh, yeah, and it, as we said, that one of the beautiful things about the um, the Dinga Food Festival, it's for everybody, you know, and it's so great to see all ages. Like, as you said, there's kids in buggies, those grandparents come down, you know. Uh, it's a festival. Sometimes you get a festival that, you know, a, a festival takes over a town and it's a lot of people coming in. But this really is a festival for the people of Dingle and to showcase the best of what we do from food and drink and hospitality. So we have all the locals with all those added extra people who come down for a great weekend. And of course, no food festival would be complete if you didn't have some cookery demonstrations and you have a whole program of different people up on stage cooking lots of different things and including you're talking about hospitality and welcoming people to Dingle. You actually have a cookery demonstration there that involves some of the local Ukrainian community. Yeah, we do. So I'm part of actually one of the stalls, the, uh, the Be A Dingle. We might talk about that later. We're launching a food network. Um, but yeah, one of the stalls will be the Ukrainians and they're going to showcase some of their local food um, together with some of their arts and crafts. So we're really, really looking forward to that. And they've been really busy working together and they're so excited actually, you know, to have um, to be able to showcase what they do, but also to be involved in the community. So I think that's going to be, there's going to be um, Ukrainian music as well. So I think that's something not to be missed. So that's going to be up by the Fela, uh, the Bia Dingle tent, which is um, just the car park next to the church. And tell us a bit more about the other people that are coming to do cookery demonstrations. Yeah, so, so you mentioned the taste reel, of course, but what also the cookery demonstrations, which take place in the famous um, St. James's Church, which I think other voices made very famous. Um, we have uh, Chef Peter McGratton. He's from the Dublin Restaurant Chapter 1, so he'll be there. Um, we also have our own local chefs, uh, Jean-Marie from Out of the Blue, that's Stingle Seafood Restaurant. Um, together then we have uh, workshops, which is uh, another thing. We have beekeeping. We have um, a wildflower demonstration. So people actually be able to make their own wildflower bouquets. So that's actually very popular, um, going to be very popular this year. Uh, as I mentioned, the beekeeping, there's cheese and wine tasting, there's whiskey pairings. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot going on. And do those events need to be booked or are they just walk in? You can pre-book them. If you go onto the, the Dingle Food website, they'll give you a link. You can pre-book them um, just to, to guarantee your spot. But some of them, then we normally do try to accommodate everybody and then there'll be probably, we'll, there'll be maybe more than one of each one on, if you know what I mean. So if you can't make it on the Saturday, hopefully you can make it on the Sunday. 
the workshops then they're family friendly some of them because you do have a few events there that are suitable for children yes so also in the, for the children the main thing in the town park uh, those you're familiar with Dingle in the centre is the beauty of beauty of Dingle is we actually our town park is right in the centre of the town so there'll be children activities um that we get them to taste some unique different types of food uh, there'll be some um activities you know related to food and also fun and arts and crafts and um, some music and light entertainment so that, you know you can stroll around town with your food and then come in and sit down in the park and a little break for mom and dad rest their feet and because the town is going to be so busy at the weekend and all eyes are going to be on it in terms of the food community in, in Ireland you've mentioned there that you're launching a new food network yeah that's something I'm quite passionate about actually and um, we we started working on this actually during COVID. Um, Dingle would probably be some it's a tourist town, but it's actually many many producers in there, and we all work very very hard. And um, but we actually don't really have a group for us. We have the Dingle Peninsula Tour and the Lions, and we have the Chamber of Commerce. But this actually is a really exciting new. It's called Be a Dingle, and it's a food network for anybody involved in uh, food on the Dingle Peninsula. I said not just Dingle, but the whole peninsula. Um, it's. I think it's going to be really exciting, but also probably challenging as well. But we're bringing together like not just uh, people who are selling food, but producers, farmers, fishermen. Um, this is something we're passionate about um, because of getting the young people and keeping them involved in, in food. Um, we, I actually work with the program they do with the transition year students, like from Murphy's Ice Cream. He talks about you know being a food producer that you actually can, you know, there is a. You can have a lifestyle out of this. You can live, you can work here in Jingle Peninsula. Not everybody has to leave and, and go work in the big cities, you know. So great examples are of that are, for example, being in Jingle. Um, Matthew and Justin, like they used to work at Murphy's. They were our baristas. And then they went off and they opened their own coffee shop. And now they're roasting their own their own uh, coffee beans. It's a great success story. Uh, we have Anna Skull Pudding. Um, we have Mickley Muck Sausages. Uh, we have, we're blessed to have two salt companies now. We have West of Dingle who season salt and they collect their own salt water, boil it down. And um, we have Dingle Sea Salt as well. There's a new tea company after starting. But the list goes on and on. So it's a network for all these people who are involved in food to come together, to learn from their experiences and uh, to grow. Sustainability is a huge, huge challenge for us all now. So how can we learn from that? Um, also mentioned the retailers. We have some excellent retailers like Ventry Post Office, Longs out there in Ventry. Like they, they showcase so many excellent fine Irish producers and local producers. So it's to bring us all together really and to share experiences and to learn and to grow and to support each other. And where is that launch taking place, Neve? So that launch is on Saturday at 11.30 and we have a Bia Dingle tent and a Bia tent kind of festival area. So that will be just again on the entrance coming into the car park beside the church on uh, on Green Street. Fantastic. So that takes place from 11.30 on. But we'll be there all weekend uh, showcasing food. There'll be demos, um, there'll be talks. We have BIM are there, Bordis Guevara, Chagas are going to be there as well. Local farmers, local fishermen, local producers. But yeah, it'll be very exciting. And some music, of course. Fantastic. And then there's fi- there's a fireworks display this year as well. Yeah, I don't know, some of you might have heard of this called Antorus Moor. It's a Kerry County Council initiative and it's um, the idea is to bring home the Kerry diaspora, a whole lot of them, <laughs> during the month of October. So that's going to be, it's a Kerry County Council festival, but it's going on the whole month of October. But they've decided to launch their, their festival, the Tourist Moor, at the Dingle Food Festival. And that's going to be Saturday evening. 
and there's going to be a fireworks display and a fireworks show. So that's really and loads of music. So that's down by the new, the new area right in front of the marina. So it's a, it's really nice. Going to be a nice showcase theory along the water's edge that promises to be something exciting and fun. Fantastic. Well, listen, you better get lots of sleep before this weekend because it sounds like you're going to be super busy. <laughs> I'm looking forward to coming down myself and to saying hello to you in person. So just remind everybody where they can get all the details online about what's happening. Yeah, so it's very simple. It's the dinglefood.com. Um, you can check out our, our food handles as well. You know, Dingle Food Festival, Dingle Food, it will, will come up. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to welcoming everyone and getting everyone back two years with such, with such a, it was really amazing. It's a long break. So we're definitely a big, big celebration. Looking forward to it, Neve. Thanks so much for telling me all about it this evening. You're very welcome, Sharon. Well, hopefully, we we'll see you soon. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. And that brings us to the end of the program this evening. Thanks a million to my guests, Cloda Davis, Susan McLaughlin, John Rogan, and Neve O'Kennedy. Until next week, bon appetit. <laughs> Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!